I'm wondering how many people here have ever been part of a spontaneous parade where a celebration just kind of breaks out. Has anybody ever been involved with something like that? It just, it just happens. There's something that grabs a bunch of people and it just happens. Let me give you a recent historical example um, in Winnipeg when the Jets came back. Now, you've got to bear with me. Some of you don't care about hockey, and that's okay. Jesus loves you. But for the rest of us, this was a big deal, okay? After 15 years in the NHL wilderness, all of a sudden, thought they were goners, but the Jets came back. And that was a big deal. And I remember um, we were, we're newly, we're not even transplanted Wonder Packers. We're relatively new. We came in the middle of the drought. But my boys especially were really excited. And I think the oldest one, it was the oldest one, Caleb, who never misses a party. I don't, I don't think he really cared what else he had on the agenda, school or whatever. He made sure he got down and joined the crowd that spontaneously formed when the NHL announced that we had an NHL team again. You can just imagine the mayhem that's going to erupt in a couple of weeks when... They're going to make it, right, Tom? Okay, they're going to make the playoffs? I, I'm, I'm kind of out of the loop until after Easter, but I'm excited that the playoffs are starting after Easter and after Lent, which is good news for a guy like me. Um, and then I think we're going to see more. Don't try driving through Portage in Maine, or I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be really exciting. Palm Sunday was a bit like that times about 100 because it just, just wasn't the anticipation that was built up about a sports franchise that had disappeared and, and come back again. It really wasn't about that. It was life and death for the people that were there in the, on the first Palm Sunday. There was so much anticipation going on. Now, people were gathering for the Passover, and that was one of three feasts that Devout Jews were supposed to attend in Jerusalem, and always the population of the city would swell to accommodate all the visitors. And as the large crowds beginning to gather, there are devout Jews, not just from Israel, but from around the known world, coming back, as it were, to make literally a pilgrimage and worship at Passover. And around this time, while this is going on, news about this Jesus, this itinerant street preacher, is spreading. And stories are, are bubbling, like good news travels fast. And there was good news about Jesus, how he was healing people and preaching God's word with authority. And people were so desperate to have some kind of good news. They were drawn to Jesus. Large crowds were, were going on. And even to heighten the tension, just before Passover, the week before Palm Sunday, this guy, Lazarus, had been raised from the dead, and a large crowd had been eyewitnesses. Can you imagine the buzz? Can you imagine the buzz? If a funeral in Selkirk got messed up by someone coming back from the dead, coming out of the casket and walking around. Can you imagine the buzz? And those people from Selkirk are coming down to this large gathering at, at Winnipeg, you could just imagine. I mean, they didn't obviously they didn't have social media, but the equivalent of 
first century Jerusalem, Facebook would be lit up. You know, you can't imagine what's going on. This is crazy. I saw it with my own eyes. The guy was dead as a doornail for three days. He came back. Jesus said, you know, Lazarus, get out of there. Come on. Undo the grave clothes. And there he is. Wow. And there's Lazarus just kind of sauntering around saying, hey, yeah, hi, how's it going? I thought you were, yeah, but I'm back. What? I, people were astonished. Now, it's interesting that there's this large crowd of devout Jews gathering for Passover. And then there's this other large crowd of people that are there, kind of groupies around Jesus. I would have been a groupie too, thinking, wow, what is he going to do next? That guy was dead and he's back and he's doing all these crazy healings. It would have been amazing. So there's another crowd of groupies, so to speak, following. And then at the beginning of the passage that was read this morning, we find that there were some Gentiles, some Greeks, coming up to one of the disciples, Philip, who, because he had a Greek name, maybe he looked Greek, I don't know, they, they, they talked to him first and said, hey, could, we want to meet this guy, Jesus. Can we meet? Can you, you know, can you pull some strings? Maybe give us a backstage pass or something like that. Like, how do we get to Jesus? So Jesus is all these people clamoring to meet him. And he's on his way in um, on Palm Sunday, on his way into Passover, and he does some very deliberate things. There is a lot going on, a lot going on in this story. But before, any, before we go any further, I need to ask you a very important question. What is today's date what is today's date? March 29? Okay, it's actually, I think it's the 29th. I think I checked. But March 29th, 2015. Okay? Remember this day because this could be a significant day in your life. Doesn't depend on me. I'm going to do my best job to convince you that this could be a significant day, but it really depends on you. Because what I'm going to give you this morning is what I call a come-to-Jesus opportunity. When I'm done talking, and don't worry, I won't talk for too much longer, I'm going to give you an opportunity to, to literally come to Jesus, connect with Him in some way. Whether you fill out a connect card, or you come and talk and pray with one of the elders, this is your opportunity. And I want to get you to think about that and pray about that and say, Jesus, is there something that we need to do business about today? And here's the reason why I'm talking about it. We all come with expectations to Jesus. We all come. I'm hoping that you came here with some kind of expectation this morning rather than just showing up so, you know, you check it off the list or People in your household don't bug you. You weren't there, you know, blah, 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 or come out of a habit. I mean, it's a good habit, but I don't want you to just come without thinking about it. I'm hoping you come with a sense of expectancy, with a sense of expectation that you're going to connect with God and God will connect with you. This crowd that was gathering to welcome Jesus into Jerusalem had a lot of expectations. They were expecting someone to deliver them from foreign oppression. The Roman Empire had crushed Judea. 
They were dominated by a foreign power. They're under basically a dictatorship and martial law. It was not pretty situation. From a spiritual point of view, the religious leaders were just absolutely bankrupt. They're more interested in feathering their own nests and looking good than really ministering to the spiritual needs of the people. So people were absolutely desperate. They were spiritually starving. And they were expecting the promised Messiah in the Old Testament scriptures to come in, not quite literally on a big white horse, but that's how they were expecting the Messiah to show up. They were expecting a political solution to their problems. Now, no comment on the Canadian federal election that's anticipated for later in this year. All we can say is, Lord have mercy and give us good government. But political solutions are helpful in some parts of life, but ultimately they do not solve the core issues of our existence, right? Political solutions aren't it, or economic solutions. They can make life a little easier, a little bit harder, but ultimately they do not solve the challenges of the human heart. So there was a mismatch in expectation that day when Jesus came in. Um, people were picking up these, what's with the palm, what's the deal with the palm branches anyway? In that culture, people would be welcoming royalty by waving palm branches. So all of a sudden, this itinerant street preacher, people saying, this is the guy, this is the man, we are saved, Hosanna, God save us, things are looking up. Finally, we're going to throw those Roman rascals out, and maybe purge the high priest and all his cronies. And finally, we're going to get the kind of government and leadership that we deserve or crave or hunger for. Where finally, God's going to show up. This is awesome. This guy raises dead people. He does miracles. It's going to be easy street. It's going to be so sweet. It's going to be awesome. Remember his disciples were arguing about who's going to be in Jesus' cabinet after he got installed as king? Remember? Like they had the same thing going on. Now, does Jesus enter on a big white horse? No. On a donkey's colt. Why? Because he's trying to communicate. I believe it's a scripture from Zephaniah saying, your king comes in peace. He comes not as a conquer. He's not going to conquer by force. He's going to conquer by love. He's going to win people's hearts. He's not going to force them. He's not going to use power or control. God never uses power or control to dominate us. He loses with love. Remember that. Remember that. God is not into domination and control. So there's this mismatch in expectations. And people kind of Miss the boat about identifying all this messianic expectation. Um, people were so desperate, and you could understand why, because a conquering king would throw out the bad guys, but that's not how Jesus conquers our heart. This morning, I want us to think briefly what are our expectations of Jesus this morning? Do I want Jesus to fix my kid, fix my parents, fix my spouse? Get me a spouse. Maybe get me a different spouse. Do I want, you know, Jesus, how do I want Jesus to intervene in my job situation? Or I don't have a job. 
that's a job situation. That's an issue. Or where I live or what I drive. What do I want? Do I, am I coming here wanting Jesus to fix something? Do I want something out of him? Well, it's legitimate to, to take our needs before Jesus. We, we did that. I asked you to do that, and, and we did that. But it's very subtle sometimes when we come to Jesus. We have these expectations. We want him to do something for us rather than be with us. So it's interesting to just give ourselves just a little bit of a reality check. What are we checking? What are we looking for from Jesus? How did Jesus respond that day to that crowd, that adoring crowd that I'm sure would have just surged through the whole city? If he wanted to start a revolution, that would have been kind of like the storming of the Bastille in the French Revolution. That's what would have happened. It would have just, they easily could have overwhelmed the Romans, I'm sure, if Jesus had given them a green light. But what does he do? He gives us in this strange speech, this strange recruiting uh, speech that when you think about it, really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Jesus heard about even these Greek, these Gentiles are, are looking for him. And then he's, this is what he says. The hour is time for the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. It's time for a little biology lesson. Here's a wheat seed. The outer circle, that brown stuff, that's the bran. That's the fiber schmiber that they talk about in commercials. That's the stuff that's good for your digestive system. But it's really tough. It protects the inside of the seed. Most of the, the white stuff, the endosperm, is kind of starch. It's sugar, right? Pure energy because the wheat germ that contains the DNA of the seed, that's what it needs to get started when it germinates. I know all this not because I'm smart, but I have a really smart father-in-law, Bob Crawford, who taught this for 40 years, and he knows everything about growing stuff. So I called him this week just to make sure I got my science right. So here's a wheat seed, okay? Now think about that. Keep that on your mind. For the wheat seed to germinate, it has to die. It has to kind of come apart. And the, the tough external husk, the bran, needs to be penetrated. It helps to have a little bit of moisture, but not too much. Just enough moisture so that stuff gets in there, penetrates that hard shell. And then good things start to happen when the wheat germ germinates and things happen. Our other option on the right side of the screen is if we remain, if we remain a tough, old seed... And we don't germinate, we just stay there. And that's the point that Jesus is making. Unless this seed dies, um, it just stays there. Unless it falls to the ground and dies, it's going to stay there. He goes on from there, from this illustration about the wheat seed, saying anyone who loves their life will lose it. But while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. What he's saying is, you've got to die to your own agenda. You've got to die to your own rights. You've got to die to what you think is important. But in return, here's what you get. Here's the bad news. The bad news is, 
you got to die. But the good news is, you get a life that's finally worth living. If you've been trying to figure life out on your own, and struggling and trying to make sense of life, how's that working for you? Now, I respect people's independence and their right to choose and their right to be wrong and all that stuff. I totally respect that. But I'm just asking you, how's that working for you? The gospel is all about dying to our own agenda. And I've got good news and bad news in that. The bad news is it's really hard. The good news is it's really worth it in the long run. I can't candy coat this for you. I hate this part because I hate dying to self. It's hard. I don't like it. Enough ranting, I guess. I'll, I'll pull back the personal stuff. I just find that really hard. And Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to pick up your cross every day and do it. I mean, really? Can I just do it once? Like, can I, like, if I did it in 1992, can't we just sign off in that? Like I signed a Gideon New Testament or something and not, not go back there? No. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me every day. That's why I'm saying... This isn't just this message is not just for people who are starting to follow Jesus. It's for those of us who have been on the way a long time. Just to kind of check the signposts along the way. So just to check in, am I still following Jesus? Is there stuff that's holding me back? In this journey, in this portage of following Jesus, is there stuff that's tripping me up? Have I basically got my shoelaces tied together? You know, that's not a great way of starting out on a journey, is it? Are there things tangling me up and holding me back? Things I need to get rid of. Things I need to deal with. That's what Jesus is saying. If you love your life, you're going to lose it. But if you hate your life in this world, that does not mean you're a masochist. It does not mean you walk around with a kick-me sign on your back. It just means, he's just saying in comparison, if you hate your life in this world, in comparison with following me, then, then you'll get life, eternal life. And eternal life starts right now. Eternal life doesn't start when you stop breathing. Eternal life starts right now. A lot of Christians don't live like that. They live like they're, I don't know why they're on this constant diet of onions and orange juice. They're just not very happy, not very attractive for some reason. Maybe they picked up the message somewhere that I've got to look miserable to look spiritual. But eternal life starts right now. It may not always be happy, but it will be joyful because you have a sense of Jesus with you. So that's what Jesus is saying to this crowd. Great recruiting slogan, right? Okay, you want to follow me? You've got to die to yourself. Oh, people were just thronging to hear that, weren't they? And he knows what's going to happen. Jesus knows that there are people in that crowd plotting his murder. He knew that. He knew he was walking into a trap. And what does he do? He puts a target on his forehead. He gets on the colt. He allows people to to do the palm branch thing, waving, yelling, Lord save us, all this stuff. He's putting himself right out there center stage and saying, okay, this is it. This is the day. Here it is. Fisher cut bait, you know, follow me or not. 
But his soul, this is where his humanity shows up. My soul is troubled. What am I going to say? Father, get me out of here? No. It's, this is why I came here. So, okay, Father, glorify your name. Show up, show people who you are. Something really weird happens. This thundering voice comes out of heaven. People say, well, thunder? An angel? What's going on? Very dramatic. And Jesus said, listen, this voice that you heard, it was for your benefit, not mine. I mean, he's cool with the Father. He knows who he is. He knows his identity. But it's to God the Father was kind of stamping, putting his stamp of approval on what was going on, backing up and validating what Jesus is saying. The next sentence is really important. Now is the time for judgment on this world. The prince of this world will be driven out. That means that Jesus has not just come to rescue people from their sin. He's come to crush and destroy the power of sin and death and destroy the kingdom of Satan that has held this world in its grip way too long. So evil will be defeated because Jesus has died. It's got cosmic implications for the universe. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, he's basically predicting how he's going to die, which is pretty grim when you think about it. I will draw all people to myself. Now the crowd doesn't get it. What? What's this going up, this drying up stuff? I don't, I don't get it. The Messiah is going to stay here forever. You're not meeting our expectations, Jesus. This isn't what we're talking about. What are you t- what, what's this son of man stuff, and who's going to be lifted up? And Jesus says, look, if you guys don't get it now, you may never get it. But just pay attention because you're going to have the light for a little while longer. So walk while you have the light before the darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not where they're going, know where they're going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. What he's basically saying is this is your final warning, folks, he says, to this crowd that wants to make him king. All right? Everybody's got their expectations. They, they, this is what they want out of Jesus. Okay? We've all come here this morning with mixed motives because we're human beings. We know there's something true about Jesus. God is drawing us in someone. We came here out of habit or looking for spiritual reality or whatever reason we came here. We came here with some expectation. But Jesus is saying, today is the day. Come to me. He's inviting some of you to go public and get baptized and saying, hey, it's a public way of saying, hey, count me in. I follow Jesus. Maybe he's calling some of you to identify with this church family and say, you know what? I'd like to, I'd like to hang my hat here spiritually. I'd like to be a, a member of Elam Chapel and make that kind of a commitment. And it's not about attending business meetings. Right, Doug? Right. Thank you. Confirmation from the head of the elders board. Membership's not just about attending business meetings or voting or whatever. It's about saying, this is my spiritual home. This is where I identify. I mean, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your relatives. But that's how you're choosing your relatives in a sense, which is great. Maybe he's saying, do something with your money on a regular basis. You know, maybe he's saying, you know, make some kind of change in your life. Get rid of something or or pick up something. Maybe in in the past several weeks, we talked about spiritual good habits. Maybe there's something that you're going to try to start and continue to do. 
The bottom line is, here's our option. We can die to ourselves. We can choose to die to ourselves. We can say, okay, Jesus, you are the boss. You are in charge. Here's an area of my life or my whole life where I need to hand it over to you. Or, and, and if you do that, and of course it's going to be painful because giving over control, maybe, no, it's more painful for you than me. I don't know. But I hate giving over control to Jesus. But I knew that finally when I take my death grip off the steering wheel and say, I'm just messing up. You can do things much better than I do. And he does. And then going, why did I take so long? Well, join the human race. I don't know how else to explain this to you um, because I don't want to, I will not slip into emotional manipulation or salesmanship. I just want to lay it out there for you. Do you, are you willing to take a risk to die to your own agenda and know life, the life that you're created for? Or the other option is to be like the, those cold, hard, dry, timid seeds that don't want to germinate. They don't want to blossom and grow. They're not willing to die to themselves. They want to stay, they want to keep control over their lives. God loves us enough that he's willing us to give us that choice to retain control over our lives. But I got to say, how's that working for you? (laughs) Based on personal experience, it's not the way to experiencing the life that Jesus offers. So I'm going to invite you now to respond. You can do it in different ways, whatever God is telling you to do, okay? The elders and spouses and people will be around to hang out and pray with anybody who wants to stay. After we're done singing, they'll be around to hang around and and pray with people. Okay? All right? If you want to do some business with Jesus. We, we've prayed about general prayer requests, and those are important, but this is, if you want to do some business with Jesus today, you can do that. Or, another option, if you prefer, check off one of those response cards and pop it in that black basket on the way out. Or you can give it to me or one of the elders and say, I don't have time. For whatever reason, I can't do it, but I want to do something. Or there's email. Or the telephone. A radical new invention. You can make contact with someone today. But I'm urging you and inviting you, saying, this is the day. Like Jesus was saying, walk in the light while you've got it. I'm not saying that to threaten you or manipulate you, but it would be really tragic if God was nudging you to do something today and you just bailed and you just walked away. That would be a wasted opportunity. Life's too short to do that. I'll invite the worship team up here now and I'll I'll pray as you're coming up. Jesus, I pray in your name, in your authority, that you will draw the right people to yourself. We confess that we are prone to wander away from you all the time, to get off track, to get offline. So I pray that you'd help us to use this as an opportunity today to get to come back into alignment with your purposes for us. 
In the name of Jesus, we pray against any spirit of fear and control that would bind people. We pray that you would set them free. The prince of this world has been defeated, so in Jesus' name, we assert his lordship over this place and over this group of people. In Jesus' name, amen.